have found anything that works. And the key to how I've been able to do so much volume is taking systems, obviously. And everyone hears it's like a buzzword systems. You hear it all the time. But like we really have spent a lot of money and time. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? It is Sarah Larby, super excited to have you back again this week. Thanks for tuning in. It is uh, October now, and unfortunately, the winter is upon us. But you know, one of the good things is that when it comes to real estate investing, this time of year, November to about February, is actually when I find my best deals. And oftentimes, it is because people did not plan to sell during those times. So if you're, you know, a family and you're trying to sell, you're going to potentially have the ability to plan in advance and you're going to pick to sell maybe in March or April so that your kids, as an example, would move throughout the summer. So the spring market's always super crazy and also the, the early fall. And one of the things that I like to look for are deals and undervalued opportunities. So sometimes... You know, it's unfortunate, but people die and they pass away. So there's estate sales or, you know, there's divorces and, and people split up and have to sell. And what I find is that between November and February, those are when you're going to find those opportunities where people didn't really plan to sell, but they have to sell for whatever reason. Not always, but very, very often. And I've been able to find some great deals. So just because it is getting colder, there is still some some light to all of this. But, you know, one day my dream is to get out of here between October and come back in May and be somewhere warm and have that freedom to work from wherever. Because I think ultimately I'm probably always going to do this. This is so much fun. Really, it is like it doesn't even feel like work to do these podcasts and to do the right club meetings. It's, uh, it is so great. Like I'm so excited that I get to do this. But um, today's guest is also very exciting. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Michael Green from The Flip Factor. He is an American, um, very, very successful house flipper. He's also the host of The Flip Factor. And he started investing, but definitely really from the ground up. I mean, he's He's been in jail before. He was heading the wrong way and really turned his life around, which is so awesome to see. And he's got tons of great insights and tips and everything for us to, to be able to learn from, which is awesome. So hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast. You know, my goal is that even though I, I, I know because I can see it, the majority of listeners, the majority of you guys are Canadian, but also important to understand other markets because there are so many other possibilities of course there are differences right when it comes to financing when it comes to legal stuff taxes it's still different but a lot of the concepts are still very similar and you can apply a lot of things regardless of where you are whether it's Canada whether it's the US whether it's global anywhere else but Michael Green again great great investor Great flipper, lots of nice insights. And guys, if you have not been out to the right club and you would like to come out, send me an email and I will add you for free as the, my complimentary guest for your first time. In addition, if you did want to reach out to me, like I love you, you guys are sending me these awesome emails. I, I love hearing your progress. If you've got a great success story 
or you want to share it with me or you have a question, you want some advice, you know, I am the one responding to you guys. So sometimes it takes me like 10 days and I apologize, but I, um, I definitely get back to all the emails that I get. And so thank you for, for those wonderful emails and letting me know what you like, what you'd like to see more of, less of, the feedback, but also, you know, tell me about you and your success and where you're at and, and maybe you're struggling, you're, you're struggling to move to that next step and what it is that, that you're struggling with. Love to hear that. And, and, uh, I love helping you. So thank you for tuning in this week again, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Excellent. I'm uh, super excited. Now, where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. Now, is that where you live full-time? It is, yes. Okay. So for those of you that might not know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate investing? So I've been in real estate investing for about 10 years. I got into it, obviously, the same way I think a lot of people do, watching a lot of flipping shows, getting pretty addicted on like HDTV, flip or flop. Uh, not, back in the day, it was like flip this house with like Armando and Dan Merle and all them back when I got into it around 2009. And, uh, you know, I watched those so much. And from a kid, I'd seen like Carlton Sheets and all that stuff on TV. And I'd always dreamed of flipping houses, but grew up kind of poor in the projects, got in a lot of trouble as a kid. So never really thought it was possible. But uh, around 2009, I was actually doing some flooring for a guy who was flipping a house and we got talking and he told me like, yeah, I'm flipping this house. And so of course I'm super curious, right? I want to know everything about it. And uh, he invited me to one of the free seminars. Now back then, 10 years ago, these things weren't happening everywhere all the time. Uh, it was pretty rare. There's like one guy in town doing free seminars that, you know, then coaching you. And I did end up signing up with them, spending about 15 K with them. It was very life changing for about six months before that I was trying to find a house. I didn't know what to do. I was making every mistake in the book and I just could not land a deal. Uh, about seven weeks after working with him, I got my first deal, made like 16 K on a wholesale deal, which was just enough to pay him back and uh, keep a cool thousand bucks for myself. And ever since then, I've done about 1100 houses since then I've scaled to about 150 houses a year. Roughly, rough, roughly like a hundred of those being flips and, you know, 50 being wholesale deals. So predominantly, I love doing flips. I just end up wholesaling sometimes because I get too many properties. Right, exactly. So that, that is really impressive. So a lot of the listeners, I would say 85 to 90% of the listeners are Canadians. And so when we, we think about the U.S. and the numbers, they're quite different. And flipping 1,100 houses, you know, and wholesaling, et cetera, is just incredible what is the average price? Like, can you give us an idea of what that looks like price-wise? Price-wise. So average ARV about 250, rough 250, 265. And that's first time home buyer houses. That's your entry level. You know, the neighborhoods that are almost too bad to live in, but just good enough that you can get a great deal. You know, just safe enough. You're not going to get robbed walking out of your house and, you know, kind of up and coming neighborhoods. I'm actually familiar a little bit with, uh, you know, uh, probably with the East coast of Canada, like Hamilton and stuff, because I have a friend who's flipping there. So it's kind of a similar neighborhood to that. If you're familiar with that for your Canadian listeners. Yeah. That's actually my last property is one I just bought recently last month in Hamilton, a triplex that we're converting. Oh, and by the way, my favorite neighborhood in Baltimore is named Hamilton, by the way. And I've ah. done almost 200 flips in that one neighborhood. So it's kind of what I call my surge neighborhood. It's so perfect. I have unlimited deals there. They sell perfectly. They're old enough that they always need work. And it's just, obviously, it looks almost like Hamilton. It's kind of the carbon copy in Baltimore, 10 hours away. So I guess you come and visit once in a while in Canada because it sounds like you're familiar with, uh, with Hamilton at least. <laughs> 
I'm familiar with that mostly through Zoom, though. So I had a, a student I was working with and a friend and, you know, just uh, obviously trying to crack, you know, Canada's different, right? So there are different things that go on there. But the core concepts that really win in this business are not that different. And, you know, getting to know the neighborhood, though, being able to really help them in a big way, I had to get to know the area some. So, uh, you know, I started learning that area and it was shocking how similar it was to Baltimore. It was very shocking. That's interesting. Now, there, there are some differences, and you mentioned that you're working with Canadians as well, and financing piece, there are definitely differences. The taxes, there's definitely differences. Um, but for you and your experience, how did you buy and finance 1,100 properties? So for me, I've not done as much private money because it wasn't necessary. I found some great relationships with hard money lenders who are lending me predominantly, not all the money, but 100% of the rehab, 90% of the purchase. So you know enough money that I could really leverage my own cash. And uh, here, obviously, you know, we have the luxury of being able to get lists and mail to people and do all that. And you guys don't so much. So you know, we've been crushing that for years. The MLS, wholesalers, we really have found anything that works. And the key to how I've been able to do so much volume is taking systems, obviously. And everyone hears it's like a buzzword systems. You hear it all the time. But like we've really have spent a lot of money and time, me and an old partner, when we were doing this much volume, we spent a lot of money hiring coaches. I mean, probably about a half million dollars in coaching to date in 10 years. Because it took a lot to really hack. Like, how do you go on the MLS where it's so competitive and like no one can win a deal and find ways to create little niches where you can start picking up 10 deals a year there? Same thing with wholesalers. How do you get deals? from wholesalers, which obviously, you know, very competitive also, but you do everything better is the key, right? And for me, and I've been finding ways to do things just a little bit better. And of course, when we got into like direct mail and PPC and Facebook ads and all that, we were doing the same thing there. You know, we just had to really optimize and just be on top of our game because, you know, honestly, most of our competitors aren't, right? They get into a rehab, they get busy, they're inconsistent with marketing. I totally get it. I've definitely been on that roller coaster before when I was newer for the first couple of years. It's like I would market, 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 get a deal, get overwhelmed with contractors and crap and stuff I couldn't, you know, keep on schedule. And then I wouldn't market very much. And then I'd have to start ramping it back up. So I never had any real consistency. So a big part of how I'm able to win the big volume is just everything stays consistent, right? And I find balance between the two, which isn't always easy. It's a little bit easier said than done sometimes. No, absolutely. And my thoughts are you probably build a team. So it's probably not just you that's out there. So do you have a team of people that are knocking on the doors doing the marketing for you? Like what does your team look like right now? So team right now, and uh, this is a little bit of regression back because I've been on this big thing. So I talk about you know, my volume, but my big thing in the last couple of years since the market's gotten really competitive has actually been scaling down the profit up. So I've really been big on it. I went from 150. Uh, last year I did 71. This year I'm actually looking to do about 35. But what I've been focusing on is doing 35 and really nailing all 35 of them. You know, if I could pull 40K profit on 35 houses, that's a really great income. It's mm-hmm. a lot more than I need to live on. I live very frugally. So uh, I can really build some wealth without doing that much volume. So I've been thinking very differently, right? Do, do less than that now. So my team now, which used to be about 12 people, and it was a couple acquisitions people, a lot of marketing going out. My team right now is me and two other people. So I have a project manager. I have a realtor who's, you know, realtor's my mom, by the way. So she's handling like the 80% of the realtor part that I hate, which is paperwork and, you know, just all the back and forth. And I get into the negotiations. And I had an acquisitions person who left just recently and I have a new person coming in soon who will be doing multiple jobs because I'm really scaling the business down. I'm going to keep it to just a couple people. Since I've made some of the changes and I've been scaling down, I've been making the same amount of money and, but I've been able to travel and only work about 20 hours a week. I'm actually living the lifestyle that I thought I would have when I came into this business 10 years ago, but really in the first seven or eight years did not have. I mean, for seven or eight years, I was just a complete addict and I was just like flipping houses and going crazy. So it's impressive with the volume I've done, but I'm here to say that 
definitely was not the best choice. And now looking back, becoming a little bit wiser, it's more about the freedom that's created. I actually make more money today than I did when I was doing that much volume. So what do you think's changed? So when I did that much volume, I'd make 20K a house. We had tons of overhead. We had a lot of people. So, you know, there's a, every month about 70, 80K in expenses because we had so many people doing so many things. So now I've been on this big kick like to really keep challenging myself and see like, okay, how much work or how little work can I do to get more, more like results back from it? So like last month we got seven deals, five of them came from the MLS and I tracked the five that came from the MLS. I had like six and a half hours work into each of them. Now I did that myself because my acquisitions guy, so I hadn't been in the field in a while and I, you know, I felt like I was getting a little disconnected. So it was time. Sometimes, you know, you have to go back and remind yourself you can do it and also really start to figure out like how well could this be done? He was doing the same thing, but he would spend 30 hours finding the same thing. It took me seven and a half, eight hours to find. So it's all about being able to do things in less time, right? And if we only give ourselves a little bit of time to do something, we often find the most direct route to do it. But if we give ourselves kind of an open schedule to do something, then we, you know, we, for me, I'm a researcher. So I would just research it forever. And then, you know, the two hours I take actions when all the good stuff happens. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you did mention that you are traveling and you have a little bit more freedom. And I think that's just key piece of why many of us are in real estate investing. For me personally, I mean, real estate investing, it's great, but it's not about the real estate. It's about the lifestyle and it's about the freedom and it's about the, the time and the, you know, the ability to do what you want, where you want with who you want, et cetera. So was there like a defining moment for you where you're like, I am working way too much and you know, maybe I need to enjoy my life while, I mean, you seem like you're still young and, yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. able to, was it like a, you know, family decision or what? So three and a half years ago, me and my partner who had built that business that was doing about 150 deals a year, he was 20 years older than me. And we both kind of were like, I was working a lot of hours and we both decided to like split the company up and kind of scale it down. We were seeing the market get way more competitive. And we, to be fair, we were using what I call caveman tactics, you know, the old stuff that the gurus teach, you know, kind of just the very basic stuff. We just were doing a lot of it and doing it. I would say we were working really hard at it and making it work. We were kind of pushing a square pig into a round hole. So you can still make money doing more outdated tactics. They kind of always work. They're, you know, they just work forever. So in that, we realized that we were just putting too many hours in. And that's when we made the break. He bought me out of the company and I decided to go on my own. When I went on my own, the one thing that I had never had since I've been in this business was like freedom to architect my own system. So I was very fortunate that I hired a very high level business consultant who's EMIF coach. And I also happened to be an EMIF coach and he was one of the more senior ones over a long period of time. I mean, he works with like five people and he decided to work with me. And he really asked me a lot of crazy questions. And I realized how I got so just into this grind and just like narrowly focused on volume, volume, volume and at the cost of margins. And when it really started looking at it, uh, he was like, hey, how many houses do you really want to do? And I'm like, oh, 100. I'm thinking just like my old mentality. He's like, well, isn't it really more about what you want to make, like the income? What if you could do 10 houses a year and make the same income as when you did 150? Right. And I was like, well, okay. And he started, once he got me curious and got me thinking about it over a couple months, he really shifted my beliefs around it. And I was very fortunate that like year one, I made 360K doing 11 deals. And it was just nothing. The year before that, I did 150. And my net to me was around 500K you know, after all those expenses and everything. So it was not very big difference. But the, the real big difference was, is the year before that I was working, I mean, I was working every waking hour to eat dinner. I would go back to work. I just was completely obsessed. I couldn't unplug for vacation. It was a 
every day of the week kind of vacation, just never really could stop thinking about real estate. Uh, in that year, I actually went on vacation 21 times. I, mean, I literally just got a chance to do more vacation in my whole life put together in one year and just do whatever I wanted, right? Learn to surf, snowboard. I really had a great year doing 11 houses, by the way. So I think everybody when you hear 150, they're so much more impressed, but I'm like the 11 houses is the most impressive year for me because it was just a great year. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the, the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. Absolutely. So if somebody's starting out and they obviously want to get to the level that you're getting to, I know that there's things that you look for, right? There's numbers that you look for. And I was looking at one of your videos I was watching on Instagram. There's like four numbers. Can you talk about, you know, how to analyze a deal and what numbers you look for to see if it's a good deal or not a good deal for you? So yeah, there are four core numbers for me. You know, for many years, I think everyone's heard, okay, you, you look at net profit. That's pretty, pretty big one. Obviously you should know your net profit should be reasonable for me and you asked, I want that to be around 30 K and I feel pretty comfortable if I can get in the house, maybe six weeks to do the renovation, make about 30 K. I'm very happy with that. That's a very productive business. Now, if I make more, obviously that's always on the table, but I kind of have to have a minimum because it gets pretty dangerous around 20 K. You, know, you get to the place where a couple mistakes, a few things go wrong, you could end up losing money. So that's one of the biggest ones. And I think that's probably the easiest one that most people would focus on. The one that we've all been taught over the years, obviously is the, you know, the after repair value or like the, some people call it Mayo. Some people call it like, a, I mean, there's a couple different names for it, but maximum allowable offer like the 70% rule. So I don't necessarily do the 70% rule for me, how I was started to really be able to find my niche was I started realizing like in certain markets, like Toronto being a great example, you're not going to get things for 70%. You know, we're seeing things like 80%, 78% might even make a lot of sense just depending on price point. So I realized I had to create like a sliding scale. So in really bad neighborhoods in Baltimore where ARVs were like maybe 130 to 150, I was doing 65%. And honestly, it's about 25K, 30K profit on that. It's not like you're hitting home runs because 65% and small margin. Now you get into a three or $400,000 house, it's easy to go 74 to 76% of ARV and still make really good money. 
So that's our really next big thing. Now, the key for me where I started having a lot of success is when I start combining them all together, right? So it's like net profit. It's going to be for me also going to be that ARV. And then I'm looking at cash on cash return. So essentially, I like to make 15%. I think a lot of people use the language 15. Again, if I'm on a higher price point, I'm okay with 10%. And if I'm on a lower price point, I'm looking more for 20%. So it is a little slide and scale. We don't ever want to be like, okay, specifically just one number because obviously $200,000 neighborhood is going to be very different than a $400,000 neighborhood. So that's something always to consider. And then the last one, which is one that I uniquely developed for me because uh, my acquisitions guy actually taught me this funny enough. Uh, I was like, look, we got to make 30K a house. And he's like, like the next day he brings me like two deals. And he's like, I run the numbers. I'm a finance guy. And these numbers are amazing. And he was completely right. They both made 30K. However, they were like 160K renovations. So I look at him. I was like, I'm not taking on 160K renovation for 30K. He's like, but you just said if it makes 30K, bring it. So I realized I need a way to measure my effort versus my profit. So for me, every dollar that I put into the renovation, I want to make a 50 cents return. So it's a hundred K renovation. I want to make a minimum of 50 K in return. And this helps me make sure that I'm balancing the fact of how much work I'm doing versus the, you know, return for me. Cause that way, this was the main thing that he helped me develop because otherwise I realized I was taking on a lot of like 80, 90 K renovations. They were just making 30 K. They represented multiple units of work versus like a 40k renovation that makes 30 which is super easy very predictable it's going to be something you can do over and over mm. yeah no that's really that's really interesting now if people want to know more about that can they go to your website is it somewhere specific it's probably not but hmm, i'd be willing to throw it up like oh i have a facebook group or something i'll throw it up there in case everybody wants to come up so okay. we'll make sure it's up there awesome. by the time the stairs awesome thank you so do you keep any of these or do you sell them all my houses, do I keep them as far as rentals? I'm just starting to build my rental portfolio. My old partner, we had 30 outright that we owned that we built over the years. And uh, now we're just starting to build it back up again. I am getting pumped about passive. I know everyone's into it right now. The reason I don't have anything against rentals, my main reason, I, I'm big on being focused though. So for me, I tend to get really off my game if I focus on too many things. But if I really focus on being the best renovator, then I can really start getting that business honed in. About three years in right now, so I'm just starting to really hit my stride and really get things to go really well. So I didn't want to start focusing on rentals and start to divide my attention too much. But I do know that obviously I have to build a rental portfolio. It's a big part of my future wealth. And it is the long-term gain, obviously. Uh, I just, I'm big on not trying to do like 10 things at once because my ADD brain does not do well if it's not managed well. <laughs> it has to be managed. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, you got to be the expert in one thing before you start branching out. So it's definitely good to see that. So when it comes to, you know, working with partners or joint ventures and you mentioned your partner and you guys kind of parted ways, like, is this all you at this point doing this? Yes, it's all me now. So no more partners, not just because I had one for seven years. I think me and him did close to 900 deals together. You know, that was great relationship. I wouldn't be where I am today without him. He was a mentor to me, very wise man, good business person. So the years we spent together were invaluable. However, you know, with after seven years of, you know, splitting profits and doing a lot more work to make money and I realized I don't really need the partnerships. And it was something my coach actually helped me discover. He realized I was a little bit insecure. Sometimes we want to partner just out of insecurity, really, when there's no synergy. Right. He actually, I had to work harder when I was partnering with him because it was like I would have to go do one thing and then also kind of almost manage him also. He was almost like a, an investor, like a dollar investor. He'd put up the money and uh, unfortunately, it just it felt like I was working very hard and I could never just spinning wheels a little bit. And I'm not saying partnerships stink. I love partnerships in the beginning, especially if you're newer, you're just getting in the game. Someone's putting the money up. Someone's willing to do the work. These are great partnerships. These are great experience, things to do. But I also would say that my big lesson I learned is don't get married right date 
in partnerships. So we kind of got married. Like we met each other, loved each other. And we were like, we're married for life, man. And we kind of were at 900 deals. We did a lot together. (laughs) Where should I invest with your host, Sarah Larvey? We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now, and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders, and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis, it was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-208. 6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. So this was all in Baltimore? Yes, all in Baltimore. So that was one of our, you know, Baltimore is a, you know, it's an abundant market. It's a city. There's plenty to do here. I mean, I think we had room to grow even at 150 deals a year. I'm pretty big on like really taking over like the area you decide you're going to work on because there's a lot of opportunity you're missing. And I didn't really learn this until one year we started talking about moving and doing some stuff in Florida. And I think we mostly wanted to do it just so we could go to Florida because it's so beautiful and escaping the cold winters. But we really started looking at the business and we looked at the market and how many deals we had missed that year. It was about 80 or 90 deals just in one county that never even came across our table. So we start realizing that if we wanted more where we were without taking the risk of going to a different market and remotely managing teams and all that, we could really just build where we're at, just become the dominant force in the market we're currently in. That's great. That's great. So what's the next step then for you? I mean, you mentioned obviously some rentals. Is there anything else on the horizon? 
Well, I will say that uh, right now, obviously, I've been helping some others with a little bit of coaching. You know, just doing that more for fun is something that you really get back. But the next step is keep doing what I'm doing. Everyone thinks there's a, a next exciting step for me. There really isn't. I love flipping. I love rehabbing. I've made it so fun and easy to run this business that I don't ever really plan on tiring from it. I work about 15, 20 hours a week. What I have done is I've taken all the stuff I do and I pick the things I actually enjoy. I only do the things I enjoy now, which I happen to be really good at because I enjoy them. And I've hired other people to do all the 80% that I don't like. And so it makes the business easy to run. It gives me a reason to wake up in the morning. I'm actually very passionate about it. So at least for now, I, for the foreseeable future, I plan on renovating and just building my rental portfolio. Also with, you know, continuing to improve my renovations. I've been on a big kick lately. How do I get more money for my flips? Because I want to I want to really keep scaling down, but letting my profit go up. So I'm on this whole, this mission to figure out how to do that at a very big level. So what have you figured out? Is it just a different neighborhood, a higher price point? How are you getting more profit now and versus before? So there's really, um, so essentially I've been working on the system for myself, really it, everything that I ever show like a student or I talk about on Facebook, it really first is first is born in my business, right? If I don't can't make it work in my business, I don't talk about it. Cause I know a lot of times people talk about stuff. They haven't even ever done it for me. I want to make sure it's in my business. It's been proven. I've been using it because most of the stuff that I'm learning is for me first and foremost. I want to make sure that I can grow my business because that's how I pay my bills. It certainly isn't, you know, doing free Facebook videos. I have to actually like go out and do flips, right? To make the money. So I've really put together what I'm calling high performance house flipping. And so there's really five steps to it. But the first one is that I've just, first off, I fire my schedule because one of the keys for me being effective and being very productive is if I give myself too much time, then I make things longer and harder than they need to be. And as soon as I cut my time down and I really condense it down to four, three to four hours a day, I start getting really productive and only doing what matters. And it forces me to say no to the stuff that doesn't matter. And so it's often when we have a lot of hours or we, you know, we're just really passionate about real estate. We feel like, oh, it's okay. I'm learning. But it really is about restricting your time. So I even went down to how I talk to sellers and how I work with a prospect. I now have a system that I use. If someone's not a four or five star prospect, I don't spend a lot of time with them. Unfortunately, I used to go like, I used to pride myself in like, you know, getting that one deal out of a hundred that no one else would have got because I took them to the grocery store every day for a month. And I loved that. It was like a game, but I realized it was actually part of why my business wasn't as productive as it should be. So now I really have gotten over the years, I figured out there's a certain type of person that we're going to do business with, that we're going to be a great fit for, that's going to appreciate us, we're going to appreciate them. And when I find that person, I, I narrowly focus with them and I put all my energy in them. So, you know, with cut down time and reduce time, I have to do that. Second thing for me is really just, um, I have a couple things that really matter, right? It's being able to buy the properties consistently, being able to renovate them on time, on budget, getting them done in a very quick time, having a consistent process for that. And then really there's the systems that have to be built around that so it gets done when I'm not here. Third for me is uh, gonna be just taking and doing what I call anti-selling. So I know a lot of people don't hear about this, but I've made a big shift a couple years ago where I stopped selling over the years with my partner we had learned all the like sand learn all the cool the cool tactics that you use to secretly mind control people and make them do things i think people are, are over that right now i think people are educated they're smart buyers have seen it yeah. all on tv they've seen it on youtube and you know there's just a lack of trust when you try to use these things so it's been really for me in the last couple of years i went on this journey just to have like a natural conversation with sellers it's really painless i'm not a natural salesperson so I, when I can get out there and I can have a very honest and transparent conversation, it feels amazing. You know, when I use those taxes, tactics, I was really forcing that on myself. Uh, they did work, by the way, but I can tell you my conversion, since I've gotten more natural, is double. 
because now I'm just having these very organic, natural conversations. I'm very transparent. I do a presentation. I show them my comps. I show them how much I'm putting into it, my numbers with my de-analyzer. And like, this is what I'm making here. And everyone's always like, oh, we know you're going to make money because it's just this thing. And there's this high level of trust that's being built with them because I'm being honest. Right. And I think where a lot of my competitors are coming in and they're, you know, they're, you know, tapping on the wall and saying, oh, I don't know about this. This looks like it could be caving in. And I just think people are really educated these days and are not kind of falling for any of that old school stuff anymore. Absolutely. You got to be authentic. You got to be yourself and, you know, build trust and rapport. And I'm alert. Like, so I'm in sales as a full time okay. job, but I, I hate selling. <laughs> it's about, you know, understanding what people's needs are and then being able to come up with a solution that makes sense and then making it a win-win for everybody. The best so. salespeople know that, by the way. And I think they're, you know, they, they're the 1%. They're people that really are not out there writing books and telling you all the cool tactics because no one's going to buy a tactic that says, hey, go be honest to people. And, uh, you know, we get a book about just how to have a normal conversation and be honest and authentic. Really, that's also a good life lesson of just how to be a friend and be a family member, a husband, a brother. Just being a better person in general is really going to help you in business, but also in life. And the response has been amazing since I've made this shift. And I have to say, I sleep better at night. I never did anything slimy, but at the end of the day, I've sometimes felt slimy, right? I felt like I was being manipulative. And now I know there's no reason to do that. So then like my fourth step that I really start to do is I call it a stop chasing unicorns and be a unicorn. Because like for me, I realized that when we do things differently, we get paid really well for it. So my flips, I make sure they're a little bit better, a little bit different than everyone else. I make sure I get them done faster and better. My business model, obviously being authentic and honest to people, really building rapport. I'll sometimes spend three hours on an appointment. That's why I'm really focused in on making sure it's only a four or five star prospect. Because if I spent three hours with everyone that calls me, well, Obviously, there wouldn't be enough hours in the day. So I make sure that I'm willing to go as long as it takes. I mean, I literally have been on appointment. I think three and a half hours has probably been my longest one. And we talked about family, friends, you know, his whole life almost to the point. And in five minutes, we talked about the property. He's just like, no, I'm going to sell to you. I like you, man. I trust you. All those other people, I don't know about them. <laughs> Someone with one of my guys, my acquisitions guy was with me. He's like, it's kind of unfair that like you didn't do anything. I was like, I did actually because you're super ADD and right. You want to do everything in 10 minutes. Right. But this yeah. key is that I was willing to sit there and I actually wasn't, this wasn't a tactic. I was genuinely interested in this guy's life and his family. He's a very interesting older gentleman who had a very colorful life and, you know, it was like lessons to be learned there. So I had to make a shift because I'm a little bit impatient by, you know, that's my natural state is to be a little impatient, get to the point. My old partner actually taught me this because he was a lover. He was an Italian, right? He had the mustache, like the little Mario mustache, <laughs> and he would hug everyone. He'd come in. We would never get a deal, but we'd always be invited to a cookout after we left. And then I was always the guy that's more analytical. I was like, okay, let's get to the point. Here's the numbers and let's do this. So I've learned that the perfect balance is somewhere between the two. Right? You got to get to the point and close the deal eventually, but also being willing to build rapport is super big. It's one of those, I guess, if you had to have a ninja secret to selling, that's probably going to be the closest thing to that. Not quantifiable is like a sales tactic, but I will tell you that I'm converting twice as well as I was three and a half years ago. And, uh, and I don't think it's gotten easier. I'm pretty sure everyone will agree the market's gotten harder. So in reality, I should be converting less with all the competition rising. And then last piece for me, last piece that kind of brings it all together for me is, you know, once I have all those things in place, it's making sure that I have the ability to really just like nail and get the most money out of everything. So it's about taking and I, I call it like picking up every penny in the deal. I had a deal recently where I got an offer. I listed it for 320. I got an offer for 316, like 18 day close, no inspection, really strong buyer willing to settle very quickly. But he gave me a timeline of like the next morning at 12 o'clock. Now I've learned the hard way, obviously, because I've taken quite a few of those offers, but I've learned that like in the first day, 
you probably aren't going to get the most money. But once you get about five or six days in, some of the slower money comes in, the people willing to pay more. You also really get that environment, like almost an auction environment. So I, I was able to like, Almost, I basically just said to him, look, hey, I can't meet that deadline, so I probably won't even open your offer. Thank you for making the offer. I'm sorry it didn't work out. And I let him sit, and the next day he called me and said, look, how long do you need? And I said, it was Monday. And I said, I need till Friday. He's like, are you Friday till 7? So Friday at like 3 o'clock, um, his offer is the only offer. Well, then Friday at like early in the morning, I get another offer close to his. And then we get a third offer Friday at 3 o'clock. And this offer comes in about 10K higher than him, but they have an escalation clause in. And their escalation was the 350. So I was able to go and just speak with them and say, look, um, you're going to need to be at 350 to take this down and win this 100%. They agreed. They took it for 350. I ended up netting $27,000 more. And uh, none of that would have been possible if I wouldn't have had the heart to really push until Friday, which in the past I didn't because I didn't know that these kind of things start to happen the longer you're in. So we talk about, you know, pinching pennies. That was about 2.7 million pennies that I picked up, right? I mean, it was 27,000 bucks as a rehab that I don't have to do now. And uh, the key though is that I really have the, I'm scientifically breaking down like how long can I take someone without them freaking out, losing their mind and, and, and keep them in the game. So it is a very fine balance of keeping them in the game and then making, you know, getting where you're at multiple offers. So just about every one of my houses sells now with multiple offers because that's my unicorn thing. I make my houses better, bigger. I price them really aggressively so people get in there to get crazy. And uh, one out of five houses, I'll get like a really crazy number, like well over list, like 20 to 40K over list. And then most will just go for five or 10K more or list. That's awesome. I mean, you, you've got tons of insights. You've got lots of different things that we can keep talking forever. But, you know, just in, for time purposes, we're going to move on to our lightning round. So you're going to have a series of five questions. You're going to come up with the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Uh, first one uh, right now, it's, uh, it's got to be Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. Awesome. Number two, what is your favorite podcast? Favorite podcast, like Joe Fearless. That's one of my favorite ones. All right. And number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? Right now it's uh, been snowboarding. So learning a snowboard. All right. Very cool. I used to actually teach snowboarding back in, uh, in high school and university nice. <laughs> long, long ago. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Well, it's really impossible to be broke when you have education. I think I could just start tomorrow, no problem. I'm just like, obviously, I'd have no problem getting people to invest with me. You know, this this level of knowledge, once you get the education, money's irrelevant. I mean, I, I was completely broke when I got in the game. That partner I had for seven years was the money person. He was, you know, once I showed him, I knew some stuff and I was willing to work hard. The money just comes. It's very easy to get it. Okay, awesome. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? I mean, for me, obviously, I think they have to get some level of coaching, right? Work with someone like you. Someone has to give them some guidance because this stuff that it's impossible to learn this on your own. It'll cost way more than 50K in mistakes. So being able to pay someone every, you know, two to 10,000 bucks and just getting some personal attention, that would be the first part. Second would be then a little bit of marketing and starting figuring out how you're going to start generating leads because as soon as you're generating leads, you have the potential to start making money. There really isn't much else beyond generating leads, you know, it, when you're new, at least. I know everybody's like, we've got to get our LLC and do all these different things, but really generate leads, get your phone ringing is like the first thing I'd want to do after I got a coach, obviously, and knew how to do that. Amazing. Thank you for answering the lightning round. Mike, it was awesome to speak to you. I'm really, really excited to even learn more about you. I've added you on Instagram. I'm going to be following your videos. You've got some really awesome uh, things going on and uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? 
I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.